Christian-y words. But as a three-year-old, I like latched on to this song and I would not stop singing it. And my mom took me to the grocery store and she had me sitting in the shopping cart and I was singing to anyone who would pass by us, Jesus came, Jesus came, just because I thought it was really fun. But as a three-year-old, I didn't think much about what that song was saying. And it, it kind of leaves a couple of open-ended questions when you think about it. Like, what did Jesus come to show? Like, that sentence is never finished. Or like, what, what was it that God came, or that God promised long ago in Jesus? But I didn't think about those questions until maybe a few years later. I'm now maybe seven or eight years old, back in Sunday school, and I think I found the answer to what Jesus came to show when I learned that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I can go to heaven. And so I prayed the prayer and became a Christian, and I thought, there you go. That's what Jesus came to show. Problem solved. He came to show me how to get to heaven. And I was pretty satisfied with that answer until I got a little bit older. And I began to kind of look at the world around me and realized it's a much bigger place than just me. That there's all of these different people and cultures and languages and life situations and things that I can't even begin to understand just in my own experience. And beyond that, I realized that the world is a really broken place. Not just spiritually broken, but very physically broken. That there's 25,000 children who starve to death each year. And about 1.5 billion people who live without any access to health care. Some estimates say that there are up to 1 million children in forced prostitution each year. And I looked at that and I thought, well, it's nice that Jesus came to show me how to get to heaven, but what did he come to show all of those people? What did he come to show the starving children and the refugees and those who live in war-torn areas? Doesn't he have something to say about that? And as I began to think about that, I realized two things at first. One is that the Bible clearly says Jesus came to show his love for the entire world. John 3.16, which was one of the verses that I remembered learning in Sunday school, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The whole world. Not just Alexandria. And this idea of God loving the world and wanting to be a blessing, wanting his people to be a blessing to the whole world, is something that's continued all the way through Scripture from Israel. Abraham and his descendants and Israel, they were told that they were blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. So Jesus came to show us that God cares for the entire world. But beyond that, as I grew older, I began to realize that Jesus came to show us something else. And instrumental to that was that passage in Luke that I just read. And when Jesus says those words in the synagogue, this isn't like some sort of afterthought, like, oh, setting the oppressed free, like, if you want to, that's kind of nice. 
This is something integral to who Jesus is. If you notice, this is at the beginning of the book of Luke, just as Jesus is beginning his ministry after having been tempted in the wilderness. And he comes to his hometown, and as he begins to teach, he chooses the scroll from the prophet Isaiah and says those words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sums it all up kind of by saying, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. So he's essentially, at the beginning of his ministry, he's saying, this is what I'm about. I'm about recovery of sight to the blind. I'm about caring for the poor. And yes, there is the spiritual side of that, where he did come to set free those who are spiritually enslaved. But he's not just talking on the spiritual dimension. He's talking about the things that are physically messed up in the world. And this idea of Jesus setting all things right kind of takes me back to this image of the way things were in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and how everything was very good. And Jesus is saying in this passage, I'm making everything very good again. And there's a word that we can use to talk about setting things as they were meant to be. And that word is justice. And in the Hebrew language, there's actually um, two words that we commonly translate as justice. The first of these is mizpat, which is used over 200 times in the Bible. And mizpat talks more, refers more to justice in the sense of someone getting what they deserve. And not only in a negative retributive sense, like you stole, so you're going to jail, you got what you deserve. It's in a really positive sense, too, like the poor getting the care that they need. That's also Ms. Pat. And the second word that's used, um, or that's translated as justice frequently in English translations of the Bible, is tzedekah. And it can also be translated righteousness, but it's got a really deep meaning that I don't think we have a word that sums up everything that tzedekah sums up. It's refers to a call to a fullness in our relationships which are governed by fair-mindedness and equality. And in the passage that Jesus is quoting from in Luke, a little bit later in that passage, which is in Isaiah 61, God says directly, I, the Lord, love mispat. I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. So what Jesus is saying at the beginning of his ministry is that justice is central to who he is and what he came to do. So Jesus came to show us that God cares about justice. And that was really eye-opening for me when I first came across that, when I first realized that. And I thought that was really exciting, that God is so passionate about the world that He doesn't just want to save it spiritually. He wants to set things right again. But then I had to ask, okay, God, what what do I do with this information now? 
And I found the answer to that in Isaiah, 6, or Isaiah 58, which is just a few chapters before uh, the section that Jesus read out of. And just a little bit of context. In Isaiah 58, it starts out, the Israelites are crying out to God because they feel very far from him and they don't understand why. They think they're doing everything right according to the law. They're fasting, they're praying, they're worshiping, they're looking very spiritual, and God doesn't seem to be hearing them. And so they cry out to him, and they say, Why have we fasted, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? They're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you close? And God comes back and says, Do you want to know where I am? In verse 6, he says, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your houses? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Jesus, or God is saying in this passage, this is where I am. I'm with the oppressed. I'm with the hungry, with the homeless. I'm with those people who are broken. And so if you want to have a positive relationship with me, if you want this good vertical relationship, you have to have good horizontal relationships with your fellow man, with the world and the society around you. And not only that, but he says, this is a key feature of worship. He calls it a fast. It's something that we do to show how much we love God out of this when he pours his love into us, this is how he says, I want you to pour it back out to me, is by serving other people, by doing justice, releasing the oppressed, setting things right. Jesus echoes this in Matthew 23, 23, when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, who also saw themselves as very religious. But he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so not only did Jesus come to show us that God cares about justice, but God requires us to participate in his mission of justice in the world. And not only that, but doing so is an act of worship, a very profound and beautiful act of worship to God. And this, God's people doing justice is a theme throughout the Bible, from Moses to the judges setting people free, through the prophets and the New Testament, where people are caring for the poor and the hungry. It's what God's people are expected to do. It's not extra credit. It's what God wants us to do on a daily basis as part of our lives and our walk with him. And when I realized that, I felt like it opened up just this whole new dimension of my faith. And that this whole idea that God's got this amazing 
mission, this amazing vision of setting everything right in the world completely on multiple levels. And he asks me to participate. And I got really excited, but then I had to slow down and ask, well, what does that look like? What, how, how do you do justice in the world? How do you participate in God setting things right again? And there's a lot of ways that you can participate, and I don't have time to get into every single way that we can go about doing justice in the world today. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it looks like for my colleagues and I at International Justice Mission. So International Justice Mission, or IJM, is, by the grace of God, the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. But we work not only on cases of slavery, but also other forms of violence against the poor in the developing world. Because in our world today, there are 40 million people still living in slavery. And there's 4 billion people outside the protection of the law. Meaning that if somebody comes to enslave them, or hurt them, or take their land, or beat them up for no reason, no one's going to protect them. No one's going to fight for them. They can't just go to a court, hire a lawyer. It doesn't work that way. The justice systems are broken. And so I could give you all sorts of facts and statistics about the way that IJM has chosen to address that. But I think that a story sticks in our hearts a lot easier. So I'm going to tell you the story of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was only 15 years old. And she was a lot like every other 15-year-old that I know. She had plans. She had dreams. She wanted to go to school, get an education, make something of her life. But she didn't have the opportunities. Elizabeth lived in a poor and deprived area of Cambodia. But her parents wanted more for her. And so a family friend offered to take Elizabeth to a boarding school in the city. And this seemed like her chance, so she went with that friend. But she never made it to boarding school. Instead, the family friend betrayed her and sold her to a brothel. And there she was sold multiple times a day to whoever would pay to have her body. And she was kept in a dark, small cell by herself, but she didn't lose hope. She had this unshakable faith that God was going to hear her prayers and that he was going to rescue her. And as she would sit in her cell at night, she would write the words of the Psalms on the walls. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I have confidence that I will see the, the land of the living and the beauty of the Lord there. And the other girls told her, that's not going to happen. No one's coming to save you. We're stuck here. But God did hear Elizabeth's cry, and hears all the cries of the oppressed. And God used IJM and local authorities that they were aiding to find the brothel, storm it, get all of those girls out, prosecute the brothel owner, and the people who were selling these girls, put them in prison. So justice was done for those criminals. 
But then they also took Elizabeth and those girls and they put them in aftercare homes. And Elizabeth there got education and she got counseling for her trauma. And she got food, she got health care. She got justice done for her, the care that she deserved, that Ms. Pat that she deserved, she got it. And I think God just delights in stories like Elizabeth's. Psalm 10, 17 through 18 says, You, O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. God loves to set people free, both spiritually and physically. And I think one of the most amazing things about Elizabeth's story and a lot of the stories that come out of IJM is, did you notice how God answered her prayer? He could have sent some miracle and shaken the brothel walls or sent an angel and just stormed the place miraculously. But he used ordinary men and women, lawyers, investigators, social workers, advocates, that's who he chose to use. They're just people like you and me. And I think that this is something that we see in scripture as well. If you remember in John 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, how he goes about it, he could have, so he's got this giant group in front of him, and it's too late for them to go home and get something to eat. They're getting hungry. And Jesus could have just done a miracle right then and there like I mean he did do a miracle but he could have just said I'm gonna just call down some Nando's to rain down from heaven like manna and everyone's gonna have their fill of chicken and it's gonna be great and with no help from anyone else but instead Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them feed these people and the disciples look at the crowd and they're like um do you see how many people are here? That's not going to work out so well. But then um, Andrew has this kind of half-baked idea. He's not sure how it's going to work, but there's this boy in the crowd, and he's got only five loaves and two fish. And Andrew says, well, I, I found this kid, and he's got a little bit of food, and I don't really see how it's going to work or help much in this situation, but... I guess, here you go, Jesus, you can, if you can use it, you can use it. And God does use it. God uses that very small offering to feed 5,000 people. And so I think that's the last important thing that Jesus came to show us in terms of justice, is that God works justice through ordinary people. If you remember, too, in the Old Testament, when God calls Moses to set the Israelites free, he, so Moses says to God, no one's going to believe me. If I go to Pharaoh, it's just, it's not going to work, God. And so God turns the question back on Moses, kind of like Jesus turns it back on the disciples, and God asks Moses, well, what's that in your hand? And it's just an ordinary staff. But God uses that staff to work miracles, to part the Red Sea, 
And I think that when we think about this question of justice, God is asking each of us the same thing. He looks at us and he asks, what is in your hands? What can you do? And at IJM, that's really, we're not any sort of super special organization. We aren't necessary. We have a lot of really skilled people, but we're just ordinary people who, when God asked, what's in your hands, we just show him and we give it to him. And I guess that's really the question that I want to leave you all with tonight is in light of this fact that Jesus came to show us that God cares about justice, he calls us to participate, and he can work it through ordinary people. And he's asking you, what is in your hands? What is in your hands? And that's a question that changed my life. I hope it changes yours. If you want to talk more after the service about IJM and what we do, I have some little leaflets that explain it, and I am more than happy to start a conversation with you about it because I just think it's a fantastic organization. But I will just close this with a quick word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you that you reveal your heart to us in Scripture and that you have shown us who you are and that you've shown us that you are a God of justice and compassion. You care for the downtrodden and the oppressed. And Lord, I pray for each of us here today that you would show us how we can participate in that mission of justice, that we would offer up what we have without reserve to you, and that you would take our small offerings and multiply them and use them. In Jesus' name, amen.